Please turn also to the Old Testament, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. The text for this morning is Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. This also is God's holy word. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Maybe go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your word. We pray, Father, and thanks that you are the God who is gracious and compassionate, that you are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that you are slow to anger, that you are patient, that you are long-suffering. And Father, we pray that you would help us, your people, to understand this characteristic of yours, that you are patient and long-suffering. And because of it, we are not destroyed. And Father, even as you show patience and long-suffering with the wicked, we pray, Father, that we would not fret in those situations because we ourselves are the recipients of your patience and long-suffering. Father, transform the way we think. Transform how we interpret the events of this world. Transform, Father, our understanding of your grace. Even as we are recipients of your grace, Father, we pray that we would desire and delight when others also are recipients of that grace through Jesus Christ. Father, grant us the humility to receive and to tremble at your word. We pray, Father, that any, if any are here who have not embraced the good news of the gospel, we pray that, Father, you might do a mighty work in our hearts that we might do so. Father, we pray that your son, Jesus Christ, that he would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Imagine dealing with little children, toddlers, or, uh, you know, those who are, uh, yeah, around toddler age, two, or one and a half, two, three, four. If they ask you for something, let me have a sandwich. If you say to them, yes, in five minutes, or you say to them, no, what they've heard is the same answer. Do you understand that? Dealing with children, if you tell them yes in five minutes, that's like saying no to them. They, they don't understand this concept of delay. And in many ways, when you think about dealing with physical children, it's in many ways the same thing when dealing with spiritual children. That when we ask God of something good, and we expect it yesterday, you realize that 
We're in the same way acting like children because we don't see the greater plan. There's certain things that children don't see when they ask for their parents of something. And so also, as spiritual children, lacking maturity, we often don't see the greater plan that God has. Especially when we are recipients of those characteristics, particularly His patience and His long-suffering. It's so easy for people, when we see injustice, injustice is done against you, that we are adamant, God... Punish those people. Show them your justice. And we, we revile when we hear about the patience and long-suffering of God, yet at the same time, you and I forget that we are recipients of that patience and long-suffering. Are you not? Are you not? And so we see here in this chapter, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, talked about wisdom. Earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1, we talked about wisdom's effect on your life. It affects how you interpret the events of life. Because if we're bringing the events of life to the scriptures, and we're saying we will interpret scriptures in light of the events that we have presently, we're going to end up with a very false and, and a lopsided, incorrect view of scripture. Rather, we're told by wisdom, we're to bring the teachings of Scripture to the events of life and interpret life through those Scriptures. So also, the matter of wisdom. This wisdom is shown by proper submission to God's authority as it's manifested in the proper submission to the human authority that God has established in our lives. That's in verses 2 through 5 of chapter 8. And then also wisdom is shown by how you face the unknowns in life. I don't know about you, but I know very little, next to nothing, about what is coming tomorrow. And it doesn't have to be any different. Because the bottom line is we're trusting our God who controls all things, who is good to his people, whose promises are sure, who is sovereign over every detail of our lives, who is loving and who is wise as a father. And so in today's passage here, it's wisdom in responding properly to injustice or delayed justice in life. So the truth that we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 9 to 13, by sight... Delayed justice means God's laxity towards sin, but by faith, God is patient and long-suffering towards sinners. By sight, delayed justice means God's laxity towards sin, but by faith, God is patient and long-suffering towards sinners. We'll look at this in three points. The first, the injustice of honor for the wicked, verses 9 and 10. Second, the vexation of delayed justice in verse 11. And third, your response before the face of God in verse, verses 11, oh, sorry, 12 and 13. So the first point, the injustice of honor for the wicked in verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> all this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. 
So when we hear about the injustice and the wickedness in mind, what we have, according to the author, is in verse 9, when he describes when man had power over man to his hurt. And here he's describing how rulers, especially in the East, that they have absolute power, that they can take life uh, for no reason at all, answering to nobody. That oppression and injustice uh, in rule and in use of power, that this is what the author here has in mind. Even as we understand this use of power, this, this rule and authority, we have to be reminded about the proper use, the right use. Mark 10.45, Jesus' Jesus' example should be life-changing. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus teaches us, is that though he possesses all authority and power, he doesn't come and force people to serve him. He doesn't come expecting to be served. He came serving. And he came not only serving, but he came that he might give his life a ransom for many. So this is a reminder to all who have authority and power that uh, authority and power is never wielded for our own convenience. Not to lord it over people. This is not what Jesus intended. But rather, the authority he's used to serve others for their good. And this is completely uh, transforming. This, this idea, this, this concept should affect every single leader. Every single father, every single husband, every, every single manager. And I'll tell you right now. This teaching, this philosophy that Jesus has given about how leaders are called to serve and to give their lives to others. This is completely unknown, completely foreign. We have what happens when the sight of judgment comes with injustice, there in verse 10. And then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. So here he's referring to the rulers, those who had absolute power. And Jesus describes it as the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you, but they insist on being called benefactors. Meaning they insist on being called, hey, we're actually doing you good, right? We're enslaving you. We're we're crushing you. We're uh, taking the very blood and and the, the organs from your body, but we want to be known as those who serve you and work for your benefit. And so here, judging by the eye of flesh, the author sets up what he sees. And then I saw the wicked buried. Here, he's saying that they had a proper burial, that, that they were honored, that there were mourners, uh, no doubt professional, paid mourners, but there were mourners there at the, at the loss of this person's life that many people showed up to say all kinds of great things about this person. You understand that it is a grave insult for someone not to receive a proper burial. But 
Think back. Think back to the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. The people who were apostles. The people who were the early church fathers. How many of them had proper burials? The only one who wasn't martyred was apparently uh, the apostle John, who died of old age on the island of Patmos. All the rest of them died some kind of a horrific martyr's death. What does that say about our God? What does that say about this understanding of what good is? Here, this second thing that he mentions is they used to go in and out of the holy place. So what is this holy place? Some claim it's the law court where, where God's justice is given. But more likely it's, it's the temple or, or the place of worship. <clears throat> Meaning that here what you have is that someone who is, a, who is a respected Israelite or perhaps in our day someone who is uh, a regular in Christ's church. That they have a place in Christ's church. That they, that they profess faith. It wasn't long ago when I, was st- I stopped by to, uh, to witness there was an undercover sting operation with, uh, with the police. They were trying to crack down on uh, the, the abuse of, of underage girls in prostitution. So those who were forced into prostitution, and they use this method where they hop online pretending to be someone underage or someone trying to uh, solicit someone underage, and I, I was asking the commander in charge, so tell me about this. And he, as a Christian, had said that uh, the typical person, middle-aged male, who is church-going. Mm-hmm. And I, I listened to that, and I was ashamed at what I heard. Mm-hmm. Because this is a representation of Christ's church. But you realize here, this is the same man. In verse 10, I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place. They used to frequent Christ's church. They have a cover. They're deceptive. Verse 10, also, they were praised in the city where they had done such things. Meaning that many in the city praised them. Jesus warns about this very thing. Luke 16, 15, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. For those of you who are seeking the praise of men, everyone is saying the same thing. You're saying the same thing, and somehow you feel good about yourselves because you're in the majority. What does God say here? What does Jesus say in Luke 16, 15? What is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. If we're in the majority, we should be asking ourselves, we should be asking ourselves, am I in the right or am I in the wrong? So the conclusion here, by the eye of flesh, in verse 10, this man received a proper burial. He goes in and out of the holy place, and he was highly praised in the city. 
The conclusion is that this wicked ruler, this wicked man, is one who has escaped justice. But then we turn, we look at this from the eye of faith. And this person did not escape justice. And it's summed up in that first statement. Then I saw the wicked buried. Children, who are those who are buried? It's those who die. And you realize, it's the scriptures that have told us, Hebrews 9.27, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And then I saw the wicked buried. By faith, you and I have to understand, nobody cheats God. Nobody. Death is the beginning of eternity. We understand that by faith as we read and believe the scriptures. And outside of Christ, there is only an eternity of hell. That is it. And then I saw the wicked buried. It's not he got away free. He escaped the wrath of God. No, the wrath of God is merely the beginning for that person. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The just condemnation for sinners who are guilty of even one sin is in eternity in hell of suffering. There is no other way. Some would like to say, well, you go to some other place where you work your way out, or the, the merits of the church so that you can work your way out. That is false. Those are lies. No such thing. There is no passage between the two. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you lose on earth is lost in heaven. The conclusion, when judging by the eye of faith, is that no sinner escapes justice. Every sinner will have justice paid in full. You will either pay it yourself or it is paid by Jesus Christ. That comes by faith, apart from works. Death doesn't mark the escape of judgment. Death marks the beginning of judgment. You think about what the author of Hebrews wrote. Hebrews 4.13, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All of you, I will give an account, every one of you, every man, woman, and child will give an account before God. And he is laid, he or she is laid bare. Everything about their lives, laid bare, open, visible by the eyes of God. Do not lament the honor of that the wicked receive in this life. Because according to God's word, by faith we believe that justice will take place. And I'm telling you now, it's not in any human court. No. It is in eternity. It is before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Nobody gets out. Nobody escapes it. 
everyone will answer to Jesus Christ, who is judge of the living and the dead. So that's the first point, the injustice of honor for the wicked. We have the second point, the vexation of delayed justice in verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. And here again, we look at the judgment of delayed justice according to the eye of flesh. For the wicked, they come up with their own explanations when their expected judgment doesn't come. So this begins as little children. Their consciences, they still have it. And they expect that something bad will happen. I'm going to get a whack from my parents. But yet, they didn't notice. I'm going to be in trouble with the law. But they haven't come after me. In fact, they've even commended me. And, and then there's no karma that gets me. And, and what conclusion do they come to? Invariably, the wicked are those who then develop a devious, a false view of God. In Psalm 10, verse 11, the wicked says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. So invariably, the wicked are those who believe not the God of the Bible, but they start to believe in their own God. And invariably, they, they think ill and insufficient and false views about God. So that God has forgotten. This describes God's sheer incompetence. God is such a bad bookkeeper, right, that he assigned my punishment to somebody else. He's senile, and he cannot keep track of offenders and offenses. What a horrific view that one comes to in wickedness about God to think that, you know what, God is one, he can't even keep, he's, he's, uh, he's got Alzheimer's, he can't keep track of, of the people who have sinned against him. So God has forgotten, or God has hidden his face. Meaning that this God, who is almighty, he's actually fearful to carry out his own law. He's, he's afraid to punish sinners. He lacks, he lacks boldness to execute justice. He's, a, he's afraid of those who have sinned against him. He will never see it. Well, this is the view that our God is ignorant, that he is not omniscient. He doesn't see all things. He doesn't know all things. And I'm, I, I have my hiding in the dark when I do my sins and oppress people and, and get away with it. There's a friend of mine who, he would, he would joke, he would make fun of me. And, and then he, and he would look at me and he would tell me, Frank, do you know why I'm doing this? I said, no, why? He says, because I can. <laughs> and, and what he's saying, he, he didn't do me any harm. He was just making fun of me. Uh, but what he's saying, this, this, this is exactly the, the view of the wicked, is that why are we doing this? Because we can get away with it. That's why we can get away with it. You can't do anything about it. And God has a warning for that. He says that when the widow and the orphan cry out to me for justice, there will be severe penalties for those who think they get away with it. So the wicked here, they have it wrong. They completely misinterpret delayed justice 
as a weakness or imperfection on the part of God. That only adds to their judgment. The outcome. Wicked men see no justice or delay justice as a free reign or a license to sin. Then you have the judgment of delayed justice as viewed by the eye of faith. And it is very different than that. It begins with a proper understanding about the character of God. That our God is patient and long-suffering with sinners. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In that same passage, we're told that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day to our God. So some people think that it is God's unwillingness, inability. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with God's patience. He doesn't delight to see people perish. He delights when people come to repentance. So do not ever mistake God's patience and his long-suffering with the fact that he will not punish sin. He will punish sin. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is Psalm 103, verse 8. God, God is slow to anger. He's patient with people. God deals with sinners in such a way that before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, no one, no one will be able to say, God, you didn't give me time to repent. No one can make that excuse. Because for every one of those, it'll be, look at the patience that I gave you. Look at the messengers that I sent you. Look, look at the opportunities that I gave you to make things right. Think for a moment about this patience and long-suffering. Think about the case of Adam. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis 2.17. Adam and Eve ate of it. Adam and Eve did die that day. There was a spiritual death that happened. But think about how long it took for Adam actually to die. We have some accounts, right? We, we have Genesis 3 talks about the, the fall. Genesis 4 talks about Adam and Eve and their children. And then in Genesis 5, we're told that uh, when Adam was, oh, was a hundred something, 130 years old, uh, he, he had Seth. So he lived another 800 years, so he was 930 years old, and then he died. Is this not description about God's patience and his long suffering? What about the case of the Amorites? It was God telling Abraham about his exceedingly great promises. And he talks about how your, your descendants will be enslaved 400 years. And then this land that after the fourth generation, right, because the sin of the Amorites was not complete. Hmm. Think about that for a moment. 
How many generations that is? Because the Amorites were the descendants of the sons of Ham. So the Canaanites, the Amorites were all that same condemned group. And that was back in Noah's time. But after 400 years, uh, they were still occupying that land. And then, then God says, and another four generations, the Amorites' sin will have reached their fulfillment and they will be judged. So you think about how God thinks. Gener generations of time. So 400 years uh, and then some. You think about it, it's hundreds of years. And then four generations. God has a very different view of time than we have. And then, then you think for a moment about what would be the outcome if God always gave swift, swift justice. Well, for one, there would be no Paul. There would only be Saul of Tarsus. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. And if there was swift justice, if there was no patience and long-suffering of God, that's all we would know about Saul of Tarsus, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. That's all that we would know of him. Yet, according to God's grace and mercy... We're told, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. You see here, the Apostle Paul was the recipient of this patience and long-suffering. And I ask the question, would there even be a church at all today? outside of God's patience and his long-suffering. Who among sinners would be living if God were not patient and long-suffering with sinners? Would you be alive and living and breathing today to give praise to God if he were not patient and long-suffering? Think for a moment. One of my favorite passages of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He gives this big list that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. So swindlers and drunkards and male prostitutes and homosexuals and, and all of these other things that he talks about, idolaters. And then he says, such were some of you. He's not saying, but... but None of you were involved in those things at all. No, he says, such were some of you. And so there is no boasting in this situation. When you and I struggle with God's delayed justice, perhaps at times you and I forget that you and I are the recipients of this patience and long-suffering. We, we can't be uh, using the, the coordinates trying to call down God's missile strikes against other people when God, he, he doesn't, generally doesn't use that pinpoint destruction. Generally, he uses the atomic feature where, you know, you call down uh, justice, it's going to hit everyone, including you. But are you a beneficiary of this patience and long-suffering? Here, a few warnings. 
God is patient and slow to anger. But when he finally does act, after great delay, the rule is justice will always be more severe. So if there's delayed justice, expect that justice will be more severe. Another thing, another warning. A warning for you, for each one of you, for me. Your true character is revealed when you witness God's delayed justice. If you respond to God's delayed justice by removing your restraints or by seeking your own personal vengeance of sinning more boldly, I have bad news for you. You show yourself to be wicked. If you fret and doubt God, which leads to evil, you show yourself a hypocrite. The hypocrite is one who never needed God's grace, and so he doesn't see the need for others. And this is where I'm trying to get you, trying to get myself to see, are you and I recipients of God's patience and long-suffering? If so, then you must not complain about it when God is patient and long-suffering with the wicked. You cannot be. You must not be. Because you and I are those who benefit from it. If you humble yourself when you witness God's delayed justice, if you humble yourself and repent, then you show yourself believing. You show yourself believing. When you witness God's patience and long-suffering towards the wicked, may it not cause you to rage. Rather, may it move you to prayer. That just as you've been a recipient of God's grace in Jesus Christ, that you would pray for those so that they would not face God's severe justice. But like you, that they might experience God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Praying for justice is one thing. But you realize how much better it is that we must pray for mercy and grace for others. And if you find yourself unable to pray that God would extend his mercy and grace to others, there's really something wrong with our hearts there. Because we can never say, I deserved it, they didn't. Grace, by definition, is undeserved. That we might pray that God would bring the wicked who are far, that they might be brought close by the good news of the gospel. That we might have mercy upon sinners, just as God had mercy upon you and upon me. So this is the vexation of delayed justice. May it teach us something. May it remind us about who God is and who you and I are before this almighty God. We have the third point, your response before the face of God in verses 12 and 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. <clears throat> Here in verse 12, there's the presentation 
Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. It's as if uh, Kohelet, the, the author, is saying that sometimes we witness the exception to the rule. That a wicked person is a sinner, does evil a hundred times, and that his life is actually prolonged by it. And again here, judging by sight, one might say, hey, I'm seeing this pattern. I, I'm going to choose according to the pattern that I see. But the answer is no. That's not what God has revealed to us in his word. Instead, he ends up on the correct side, the latter part of the verse, when he says, Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Despite what temporal advantages people appear to have, he's saying, it doesn't matter those exceptions to the rule. What I see is that it will be well for those who fear God. And this phrase that's used where it says, verse 12, it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. That latter phrase, because they fear before him, it's because they are before the face of God. And perhaps what really separates the, the righteous, the faithful, from the unbelieving, the wicked, is this being in the face of God. But imagine that scene, the scene that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. He saw God on his throne with a train of his robe. And, and then he... He responds to that by saying, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips. Here, Isaiah understood. He understood something. He understood something about the glory, the majesty, the holiness of our God. And the proper response is that you and I, having understood that, that we would tremble in fear before our God. That he has spoken, he says, believe upon Jesus Christ, repent and believe in the gospel. That you and I would be the first to do so, quick to do so. And we're told that the other side, in verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There's no witness, there's no effect of having witnessed the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God in one ear, out the other. And it has no effect. But you and I ought to be those who understand who God is, the authority that He has, and what you and I actually deserve from Him. And that's no good thing at all. That God is one who is righteous, that he is just, and that we earn only one thing, that's his wrath. And that when you and I stand before the face of God, that we might be humble, that we might tremble, that we might realize that we offer him nothing, that he offers us everything. Through his son, Jesus Christ, he freely offers us the forgiveness of sins. And it would be wise for us that we would embrace that promise. And we would not set conditions to those promises, but rather we should say we embrace it entirely, exactly as you have given it to us. 
Because our God would never deceive us. He always speaks the truth. He always presents to us that which is good. He is trustworthy. That you and I might say, woe is me, for we are undone. That if it weren't for the grace of our God, if it weren't for his patience and his long suffering, that we would all be stricken dead. And that you and I would be those who witness this and we would say, this is a great thing. That we would be under God's patience and his long suffering, his mercy, his love, his compassion. And that we would desire that others would profit from that as well. I close with Psalm Psalm 37, verses 7 to 13. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. You realize that God indeed is patient with the wicked. For some of them, it will be because their day of salvation will come. And for the others, it will be because they are storing up wrath for themselves. But that day will come. And that God tells us in his word that we should carry on. That we should not fear our opposition. That we should trust in the commission that Jesus Christ gives. That we ought to carry on. That we ought to be faithful to our God. That we ought to delight in his mercies to us. And that we should be those who delight and revel in the fact that he is patient and long-suffering with sinners. That this is our hope of eternal life. And that we might have this hope shared with others as well. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you.